Hey, let's go, let's go. Here we go, here we go. Glad you like each other. Hey, just stop where you are. Let's pray and then you can meander back, go to cup of coffee, whatever you want. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to bring this fallen world from sin and death into salvation, grant to us, we beg, that we discern that your Son is true life and in him we share in the new creation who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Ghost, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Great to see you. Uh, There's a thousand things for us to do here now. Um, Women's retreat is Friday into Saturday. Remember, there's no cost. If you didn't sign up for a hotel room, you still want one. If you talk to Gretchen Scheel, I'm sure we'd be able to work something out. But otherwise, you know, it's free dinner and then uh, a little chat. So dinner's at 6 and the evening session is at 7.30. And then Saturday morning... uh, Breakfast is from 7 to 8.30. It's quite nice, actually. And the morning session is at 8.30 a.m. Different location for the women, the Sheridan Lyle Hotel, just across the street from where we've been in the past. If anybody wants to go, um, just let us know. Talk to Gretchen Scheel. I think there's 70 or 75 people signed up, which is good. Pete Ladick is coming. He's a genius of a guy, and he's going to do what he did for the men last year, so that would be very, very nice. Uh, we should give money to somebody. How about the Russians? We just sent the Russians. Gosh, I was cleaning out old files this week. I had a little bit, so I have just kind of one at a time. And I found a thing where about 10 years ago you gave, I don't know if you remember this, you gave $25,000 to purchase a building. Well, you gave another $10,000 to purchase a car. I mean, you've got, let's face it, all your, all your money is in rubles. Uh, <laughs> so congratulations. But I, I found this thing. I'd forgotten we'd even did that. I don't know if you remember this. They had the chance to buy a building inside a natural, national park. And I found this receipt for $24,000 from St. John. I'm like, whoa. I forgot that we even did that. That was kind of cool. So we just sent them $5,000 for their summer camp. It was nice because this year we were able to send the money in advance, so it takes a little the anxiety away for them. So thanks for being generous. We'll send them another $5,000 before they get there. But anyway, thanks. It's just, it's just really good. So if you put some money in for the Russians, I also want to say um, the manna giving has been unbelievably strong, so thank you for that. So you're doing a great job in terms of alms, and giving in general has been good. So, just, you know, kind of keep going. You know, life's, life's good. I mean, we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a period of the fat cow year, so... We have it pretty good. Let's share that with other people as best we can. So, women's retreats, money's bad. Give us your money. And, um, <laughs> what? I mean, you feel the burn. Okay. So, uh, oh, sorry. All right. So, hey, whatever. Jesus doesn't care. You can do what you want. It's all going to work out. You just have to remember, I mean, that in all things, I mean, the text today, you should out, you know, what we should do next. So I'm willing to take some suggestions about, uh, you know, I try to think back, even today, part, what's interesting is that we're going to end, we're going to go through, you know, the end of Hebrews 12. But I find over and over again that we come back to the same things. I'll show you. I mean, it's just clear. The, the Christian life, this rhythm that the Christian life has, be a good witness and being merciful toward other people, it's all jammed into the text even again from the day. It just comes back over and over again. So, and Bukes' sermon was genius, you know. I mean, that was a, it never occurred to me that the last time I saw a charcoal fire with Peter was when he did a bad thing, Right. And then it must have been a remarkable thing to come up on the because when you do horrible things, you remember every detail, right? You know, and then he, ah, so interesting the way Jesus is kind to people. So anyway, I, I, I don't know, um, 
a couple of you have given me kind of random questions about, you know, why is this or why is that. So there's two things. If, you, if enough random questions turned up, I could spend, you know, a couple of Sundays in the summer answering questions. Uh, the problem is, you know, those things often get answered so quickly. And then the third week of September, I'm looking at you going, now what are we going to do next? So I have a few ideas, but if you're just dying to do something, you could, you could let me know. Um, there's probably some things I, I, I wouldn't do because everybody always wants to do Revelation. But then they get like three weeks into Revelation, they find out it's just the Eucharist. And they're like, oh, then they don't want to do it anymore. See, I have to ask you something that, you know, you thought it was all about your enemies getting flicked into the lake of fire. No, that's not what it's about. If you read it, it's three liturgies. It's three, it's three liturgies. You know, who, who are these people by the altar? Well, they're people who got cleaned up and now they're celebrating. And, you know, so anyway, uh, but, you know, think about, think about what you might want to do. You can let me know. Otherwise, you know, you'll get what you get. Um, anything else we need to do? So go to the women's retreat, um, you know, be a Christian and keep going. Everything good? All right, so spin to... Um, as I'm chatting with you, kind of spin to Hebrews 12, okay? Karen, I'm going to encroach on you right here. Just put my, some of my stuff down here. I gave you a little bit of a summary since we had a couple of weeks off about where we've been. Um, I have to say, so I just want to say, you know, a lot of this is from John Kleinig from his new commentary that should be coming out, I would think, in the next year. It's in the final edit, I think, in St. Louis somewhere. But, uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can talk about this thing. But, I, we, you know, I basically asked this, this normal question, which is, the question that, you know, you ask maybe, and especially your kids ask, and, um, you know, people are so hard on millennials and the next generation, you know, they're the same as we were, and they're the same as your parents were. It just, you know, it's whether, how things get moved around. Uh, you know, so, but, the, but there's this basic question about why you should come to church, and the answer from Hebrews, at least, is that things get better. You can approach this text, obviously, the, the scripture, this whole book in another way, but it's just basically, it's better if you're here. Uh, the margin comments this morning were particularly interesting, um, given where we are in the church and what's happening. But, you know, this is, it's just better if you're here. There's a, there's a little, just a, line, a tagline from Thomas Aquinas uh, on the bottom of one of the pages where it says, I believe so that I can see. And, of course, this is always the great intellectual argument about whether you can be proved into it, whether you understand and then you believe or you believe and you understand. The answer is, of course, it's both of those things. But in some ways, you can only see things clearly uh, in the rearview mirror, right? So really the trick to life is to act like a Christian. And this is where the text goes today. You act like a Christian, so you do these things. And, and first the admonition is, it'll be better, it'll be better. Look at this, it's better access to God. You have a better covenant. You've got a better sacrifice because Jesus is a better priest. You know, you've got a better someday, right? This eschatological notion that we all live our, we're Christians and we all live our lives backwards. We know what the end game is and so we don't have to be so upset or so angry or so hurtful toward other people uh, because, because it's, you're, you're, you see life in a different way. This isn't your final place, you know, and, and so things are going to be good. You've got a better, um, a, better, a better life together as God provides for you, Right? And all of that, and I've just turned the page, which is because you have this, and it was very interesting, this sort of notion of the better speaking blood of Jesus, that Jesus' blood speaks for you all the time. Jesus is always speaking for you. His blood's always speaking for you. Someday when you get to heaven, you know, this, you're not going to go through this thing where they say, why should we let you in? No, it's in Revelation 22, they say, these are the people who have the name tattooed on their forehead. And then from Hebrews, you have, and Jesus' blood is speaking. Frankly, when you go to heaven, you're not going to get a word in edgewise. 
Because Jesus is going to be doing all the talking. His tattoo is speaking off your forehead. This one's been baptized and belongs to me. And the, the, the blood of Jesus that you carry in, your, in, your, in yourself as you move around, you know, makes you indestructible and gives you access. Theodore Mopsuestia, when he talked about the blood of Jesus being a token of the resurrection or basically a ticket to get into heaven, Right? So this better speaking blood of Jesus. Now, what you'll find out is, is you have better and worse times, right? And that's what the text we're going to get to the end of 12 today, but you have better and worse times. And one of the things over the years I've tried to get you to see is how better and worse times happen in your own life. Um, I don't know, you know, I know where some of you are. You know, some of you even this week had great difficulties, great tragedies in your own lives. And many of you have just, your life is just sailing along. But we know that, you know, the way the world works you know, the darkness descends, trouble comes. Um, Satan doesn't, you know, just take it the weakest. He also often goes at the strongest. And so you invite conflict simply by being faithful to Christ. And that genius little bit at the end of the gospel today where Peter is told how his life will end with his not very happy going on to where he doesn't want to go, which Jesus says is your glory. And we talked two weeks ago about how the cross is his glory. I will be lifted up and I will call all men to myself and this will be my glory. That's a conflation of two or three different passages in John's Gospel. And then he says to Peter as well, and then to all of you, of course, right? So the old hymn, In the Cross of Christ I Glory, you, you're actually saying more than you know. Because if you take up your cross and follow, his cross is your cross, and he suffered and you're suffered for different reasons, of course. Um, you know, one in the realm of sancti- justification, and yours now in the realm of sanctification. But nevertheless... You push against the world and you suffer. So people always want to know why, and I just sort of gave you that in number four. Um, And it's fascinating that this almost sounds like the rhythm of life we always talk about, crisis scripture and prayer and the divine service slash the Eucharist, tithes and alms, um, 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 being very merciful and given a great witness. You know, five of those are just in this little text here. The Lord gives us the liturgy. He acts as the high priest. He encourages so there's Christ and then E, prayer. We have free access to speak, right? And we have this cloud of unseen witnesses surrounding us, a winsome witness. And at the heavenly altar, there's heavenly food, right? So all of that is what we've done. And then why does this matter, kind of practically speaking, at number six then? This is how we live our life. Now, over the past couple of years, I've tried to give you kind of a, a broad appeal to beauty. We, we talked about this a ton when we were doing the sanctuary, and you have limited money, and what do you do? So you take a few big pops, you take a couple of big swings so they can hold the room. And I've often, when I go in now, I often um, think about whether things have endured or not. Because, you know, it's so, it's so hard when you're, you know, you're, you're going to spend $40,000 on an altar or $40,000 on a font, and there's no do-overs, Right. So you all, you give this money, and then we go, we talk, we try to figure it out in advance, we hope for it. And like, I, I tell you, every one of those decisions were like, what if, what if this goes bad? Like, what if the icon comes and we, it's, it's horrible, we're embarrassed even to hang it up? What am I going to say to you, <laughs> right? Uh, could I have another $50,000, please? <laughs> yeah, this isn't, so, so often I, but you know, this whole notion of the things that draw. I mean, just the, just the sheer number of people who touch the water, right? Or even a thing like the Paschal Candle. That Paschal Candle base was found in a silo in Pennsylvania. No lie. There was a guy who was collecting stuff. We went to this place in Pennsylvania and he had corn silos full of old vestments. I'm like, this is a disaster. Nevertheless, 
Um, he was very enthusiastic, and it was, you know, dry, uh, warm and safe or two other things I'm not sure about. But, you know, that base was just, you know, we, I think we paid $80 for that and spray-painted it to match, and there it goes. But, you know, of course, now it moves at the vigil. If you need to find Jesus, go to the altar. On Ascension Day, if you need to find Jesus, go to the font. It'll move back. But these are your 50 days. And technically in the church, if we had enough insurance, what you're supposed to, part of the reason the candle is so big, not just to hold the room, but you should leave the candle lit for all of these 50 days to tell you that Christ is still here. He's kind of on a speaking tour. You know, he's over there by the lake, and now he's Mary Magdalene's in the garden and Emmaus and having some fun over there, and I'm going to see my friends. But I'll be back, don't worry, the upper room. Hey, what's happened? Oh, we thought you were gone. No, did you see the Paschal candle at St. John? I'm still here. That's how it works, okay? <laughs> so the candle moves back and forth. Everything teaches, right? Everything matters. Well, that argument is coming right out of Hebrews. And he, the, what he uses is he says to you, don't you remember how the tabernacle got built? This is Hebrews 8. Don't you remember how the tabernacle got built? Jesus, uh, Jesus told you what heaven looks like, and then he said, you know, you build it like this because it'll kind of give you a glimpse of what heaven looks like, right? And so in the same way, part of the reason it's important not to just be in a pole barn, you know, you're not the Antichrist if you worship in a pole barn, but here's the thing. There is some interest in beauty. Why? Because beauty changes the heart. Beauty is a window to the divine. Beauty goes with doing your best, goes with remembering what heaven is like, goes with remembering what the tabernacle was like, goes with remembering that Jesus is at the heavenly altar today, which, by the way, is not a pole barn, and he's at your altar too. So the whole point is to do your best. And we talked about that in, over the years, especially with Philippians in Philippians um, 1 or 2, where it talks about you do your best. Best in the church is marked by a thorough obedience, a growing maturity, and a selfless love. I want you to do your best. That's how Paul talks to the Philippians, right? And so in many ways, the joy of being in this congregation is that always to be able to say to you, hey, let's go, let's do our best. Here's the thing. This is not going to end as well as it sounds right now because in a moment, you're basically going to have to work with the notion that for doing your best, you're going to suffer, which for us is counterintuitive. We think that if we do our best and things go badly, we must have done something wrong, right? So there's always people who lose a family member and somebody comes to them and says, if you'd have been a better boy. I can remember, my brother was killed. I can remember this. Um, somebody came to the door and said to my mom, if he'd have been a better boy, you know, this wouldn't have happened to you. I mean, that was shattering to my mother till the day she died. Now, here's the thing. My brother was probably the best of a lot, uh, you know. <laughs> Being honest with you. So, uh, you know, that wasn't clearly true, but there's no way for people to process that in, in, mid, in mid-grief, right? So partly what happens today is you get this long wind-up to the last couple of chapters of Hebrew. In, in the old days, you know, they had to settle for this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, right? And so you get, this, you get this full blast liturgy. You get this full blast life. You get this community. And he ties everything together. And he says, you know, can't you see? The Old Testament has finally come to you. And people who were waiting before didn't even get it. They're waiting for you. And they won't come to consummation until, what? Until you get there. So people in heaven are waiting for fullness until you arrive. It's the most amazing thing. I don't know, heaven cannot be fully heaven, but it's not fully heaven yet. It's a poor place until you get there. The party doesn't start till you arrive, right? That's the most amazing thing. And then in these last couple of chapters, he says to you, ooh, it's going to be painful. And then people are like, you know, what, but what, why is it? Well, because 
the world is still unsettled, which is, of course, is a great reason why you shouldn't ever miss church because you can't, you are not strong enough to hold on by yourself. I mean, part of the reason that the Ten Commandments say to come to church every seven days is probably that's about as long as you can last. You're diminished after that. You just, you just aren't strong enough unless you come and get something divine that strengthens you for um, life here on earth, okay? So I'm still flipping the page. Let me see what I... So I'm on the next page. I'm at, like, with the one that says D. 6D, okay? This very practical way of speaking. So what I did was I had a good read back through the book because we've been off two weeks and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get this finished in the next couple of weeks and what this matters to you. But if you go back, all the things that we've ever talked about come together in Hebrews. For example, you know, sum the Christian life for me in under five words. Ready? Credit for this. There could be donuts involved. Okay? So if you're going to say the Christian life in under under five words, in three words, in four words, vicar. Uh, just, just uh, <laughs> touch holy things, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Look, touch holy things, right? That's all really you need to know. That's all you need to know. It's right here in the text. Like all you got to look. It's a D. All we need is hearing. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but. The whole time it's been about touch holy things. So how are you going to survive in this world? So there's this, there's this wonderful world that's dropped down to you in the person of Christ, and everything has been given to you, and it's been spelled out for you. So he's given you salvation history, and he's given you practical community life, and he's told you about your own forgiveness, and he's assured you that Jesus himself is your concierge. He's taking care of everything, right? And how does that work? Well, it's because Jesus speaks to you, so you need hearing, And Jesus appears before you, and you need seeing, and Jesus touches you, right? Um, So hearing and seeing and tasting, right? (laughs) And so then, you know, nothing could be more practical than that. These very basic things, okay? Now, that's just the run-up to Hebrews 12, which is where we're going. So all of that should just be in your quiver as you go forward in life together. And let me just say, this is all easier on a good day, Right? I mean, everything is working. Life is good. You know, people are happy. You know, kid, I mean, I just, I, it's amazing. The, the kid buzz, you know, I, I sort of in my own head now during the sermon, I'm like measuring the kid buzz. It was, about a, it was about a three this morning. Like a six is happy. A nine is like, can you get your, what's going on back there, right? <laughs> so uh, no, no, really, because, but you, you only, a 10 is, you only go out if it's a 10. But it was just, just that happy kid buzz, which nobody seems to know. I'm just thinking to myself, because there were a few visitors this morning, I, thought, I think to myself, you know, what does that sound like if you're a visitor and you think that it should be dead silent right now? And Buke's just sort of soldiers on, right? There's all this like, and it's interesting, it's like birds in my backyard in the morning where there's like one over here and then there's one over here. There's like some kid noise over here. A kid, then a kid over here makes a break for it, so this kid thinks he can go too, right? Um, <laughs> By the way, pet peeve of mine, I'm just going to say to you, I hardly ever get a chance to say this, so I'm just going to say it now because it comes to mind. Absolutely positively, don't let your kid go out alone to the washrooms. There's a lot of things that we can control here, but I have to tell you, this is probably the one thing that distracts me in the service. When I see a kid go alone to the washroom, we can't always control on Sunday morning. All the doors are open. We don't know everybody. We even don't, you know, we know who strangers are, but not everybody knows everybody. But probably our most vulnerable place is... um, 
you know, somebody walking in. And if you send your six-year-old to the washroom, you know, there's every chance that somebody has wandered in while you're listening to the gospel. Please don't do that. If you're, walk out, if you're a parent, walk out with your kid until they're, you know, of age, which would be like 16 with a taser, okay? Because, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, my great nervousness is, you know, the ushers get busy and we're moving around, you're all inside, and I know you feel safe. I know you feel safe and we want you to feel safe. But I just, it gives me shivers when I see, you know, like a four-year-old or a six-year-old go in the washroom by themselves. Go with them, okay? Because otherwise, you just, I can't concentrate. Just do, do it for my own weakness. But I just, we, we never want a child to be hurt, and we can't always control. We, do a, we try to do a good job, and we try to, kind of looking for all of you to look out. But um, please, if you do that, that would be kind of helpful. All right? All right, so here we go. Um, Hebrews 12. And we're just kind of at, at three. All right, so um, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, so here we go. Now, a weak translation is the first thing that happens in what I, I have an old RSV, which is consider. Actually, for you who have been here in the past, this is actually the word for meditate. So a couple of years ago, we talked about meditation and, and find a quiet place and you know, using a candle and chewing the words, as Luther said, and digesting all the stuff that we did. That's actually the word that's used here. You should meditate on right? You should, or, or it can also be, this word can be like, can you connect the dots? So there's been this whole thing of, come on, move from milk to meat, come on, grow up, come on, remember who you are, let's go, you're the church, here we go, see the big picture, you know, get above the fray, look down, and now it's sort of like, you remember this old thing which I always say to you from Alfred North Whitehead, which is, the only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity on the far side of complexity. So life is really simple when you're three, and then from about the time you're five to about 55 or 65, it's really confusing. And then you join the joy group, and then everything comes clear, right? <laughs> so there's, this is why our joy groupers look like our three-year-olds. Would that be the... Wait, let me take this through. No, that's not the analogy I wanted to draw. What, you didn't laugh, joy groupers. Now you're mad. Now I have to come in on Wednesday, and I have to say to you, I didn't really mean it. So just let me cut the... I didn't really mean it. Okay, so let's... So, right? Life is simple... Life is complex. Life is simple again. In some sense, there's an appeal to this, which is, you know what? This is how life looks when you grow up. So you should think about this. You should connect the dots. That's what he's saying here. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted, right? So when you say to yourself, I'm really tired of this or I'm very weary, which comes to you, especially comes to you if you're in the Christian life, Right? This is a, the story of the saints. The story of the church is the story of people being tired, being oppressed. I can remember reading about a kid at Harvard who went into a dean and said, uh, you know, I want to stop out. And the, the, you know, the, 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 the dean said, why do you want to do it? They said, I want to find myself. He said, that'll take you about a day. And he said, what are you going to do with the rest of the term? You know, that's kind of the way it is for you. You should think about, you know, not about yourself. I mean, yeah, you get tired. Yeah, you get wounded. Yeah, the church is tough. Yeah, it's difficult to come to church every week. Yeah, 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 yeah. We knew that. It's all in the Ten Commandments. The point is, when you think about that, meditate on, connect the dots, see the big picture, see the path through. You can say it however you want. See the rhythm of life. See where you're going eschatologically, right? See Jesus. If you can't do anything else, see Jesus and follow him. So, um, don't grow weary, or one of the ways to strengthen yourself. So when you come 
you know, you know this. If you've been in to see me, I regularly say to you, if you come in and, and people who are greatly distressed, you, you can do this to yourself. This isn't genius talk. I mean, what I find in people who are often great, and I do the same thing. I mean, just check yourself. The next time you feel weary or despondent or in despair, just kind of listen to what the words that are coming out of your mouth. Or if you're not talking to anybody, listen to the conversation in your head. This, is, this will be true. You will be talking about yourself. I this, blah, blah, blah. And I feel so, blah, blah, blah. And I am so. And then, it, to me, it was da, 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 da. And then I, blah, blah, blah. Right? So what does this say? Stop talking about yourself. You know this if you've been in. Sometimes I say to you, you know, just don't talk about yourself anymore. Just talk about Jesus for the next month. Your life will completely change. I mean, I can just say it to you now because it's true all the time about everything. But stop talking about yourself. Right? The gospel is what Jesus does to you. The gospel is what Jesus does for you. The gospel is Jesus, 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 what Jesus does. And when you're weary or fatigued, what happens? You get wounded, you get angry, you get hurt, you get tired. You think life isn't fair, right? You talk about yourself quite a lot. It's okay. You have to do that in some sense. You have to process the wounds of life. You have to observe the weariness. And it does help you in terms of changing your life. But it's not the solution. The solution is, and he's going to give you this in just a second, is to pay attention to what God is doing about you and to talk about God, right? So here's what happens. In your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So consider Jesus when you're tired. You know, think about Jesus. Think about the text we've just been reading. Think about Jesus still has his wounds and you haven't resisted to the point of being wounded. You may, right? You may. Um... There's an odd story floating around. I saw it on, it was actually announced by the Archbishop of Vienna, who's fairly well connected to the Pope, that a Christian, that a priest who had been kidnapped from, there was a horrible ransacking of a, in any case, um, a, a priest who was kidnapped had been crucified on Good Friday by ISIS. And I was watching the lines to see it. It was reported a couple times, but it was actually announced at the Easter Vigil in Vienna by Bishop Schoenberg. And you sort of think to yourself, now, there's, it's try, there people are, it hasn't hit any major newswire. I'm trying to watch kind of sources underneath. Sometimes this stuff doesn't get reported because it's not very popular. Sometimes um, it does. I've been, I've been sort of watching it. But you think about this, this poor man. In any case, he came to mind when I'm reading this. You know, you've not resisted the point of shedding blood. So in one sense, you remember Jesus because it relativizes your own sufferings. And you know that all of your sufferings are in Christ, right? So, um, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding blood. And then, have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? Now you have to understand this in a patriarchal writing, you have to understand it in a covenantal sense, you have to understand that son is the great, it's the kindest thing they could say to you. Right? So it's, 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 you know, it counts for all the baptized. It's the kindest thing that can be said. And so, you know, it's the old thing of, did you, you, forgot about, did you forget about who you are? Or did, did you forget what Jesus did to you? So talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus. Did you forget that how did you become a son of God? You were baptized into that? Did you forget you were baptized? Did you forget what Jesus did to you? And did you think that after baptism, did you somehow think that your life would just go on as it went on before, right? I mean, this is kind of, now this is the, this is the play of milk to meat, which we talked about earlier. You know, the famous verse in Hebrews that says, grow up from milk to meat. 
Right, did, you, did you think that it was just all going to be okay? I mean, apparently we did think that because we whine about when we suffer. But then he quotes the Proverbs, which are verses that were written for sons, right? The wisdom for children. My son did not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, this is so interesting. I can remember my, I just about blew up my vicarage congregation by, uh, you know, some morning, I think we were somewhere, and then, like, the question was, does God punish Christians? Maybe I could blow you all up, too. You know, does God punish Christians? All right, let's just take a look, because this is the lecture season. Does God punish Christians? What do you say? Raise your hand if you think yes. Okay, quick, raise your hand if you think no. Yeah, see, don't raise your hand if you don't want to be at risk. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I blew the whole thing up because, I mean, it was just this one side of the table and the other. Um, here's the thing. It looks like um, God actually does punish you from this text. So the question would be then, there'd be a couple of questions at least. One would be, why would God do that? And another question would be, how do you know when it comes from God and how do you know when it doesn't? So it seems to me at least those two things would be important. So let's just, um, since the text says it, let's go with the notion that God punishes Christians, punishes people, punishes me. That would be the easier way. Or punishes you, if you can say that for yourself. What's the difference between God punishing me and somebody unbaptized, what's the difference? Or maybe a gentler way to put it to you would be, what redeems the notion of God punishing me? Or another way to say it would be, how can I receive the punishments of God as a gift and as a blessing? Right? Got an idea? What do you say? Mr. Wente. Okay, good. <laughs> I just, I, I almost beat you to that. I almost beat you to that. I had a, I had a Pavlovian reaction to, I'm doing this for your own good. I just, did your father say that to you? I can remember my father saying that to me. I, I, this is for your own good. Maybe my mother more. I can't remember. But I have heard it in my childhood, yeah. Did you ever think they were telling you the truth? Carol Tony's what? <laughs> Yeah, that's from Lutheran school, Carol, right there. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, okay, so let's, start, let's try to make, not make liars out of any of those people. Go. In the concept of law, I, I remember the first year of law school, we spent a whole semester in criminal law asking the question, why do we punish people? Good. And we punish people for a variety of reasons. One is retribution. Right. One is also, though, for correction, for discipline. That right. punishes Christians not for retribution, not for right so um, you know if you can think about it in this so one of those three we could pull into the church or we'd say there's an overlap with one of those three right, right. We'd, we'd, at least in the, in the in our Christian lives Mr. Crawford. One of the things I run into a lot on my bus route, yeah. coming to and from uh, port and jail and such like, I hear a 
been talking about how tough it is to get through the court system. Right. And whenever it's appropriate, I stop and ask, well, do you think you're going to do it again? Yeah, right. You're still in Wente's point one or point two there. Yes. Right. Friend. There's no, and there's no, it's not condemnation. It's not, I think that that's, we kind of think as punishment as being also condemnation and for us being in Christ, it's not condemnation. It's punishment for the, for our betterment, but that we don't have to fear. It's not eternal. You answered before I asked you. Right. I don't think that God is out there with God. I think he's like he's drugs. That's actually a that's a great like connected thing to talk about because here's the thing. Um, nobody wants God bothering them until something goes wrong so badly they can't control it. And then what's the first question the newscasters ask? Yeah, where's God? One of the most interesting interjections in the political campaign on all sides is Suddenly, so I talked to you about this, about the war doing this. Remember about six weeks ago, I talked about how the war people were appealing to hearts and minds, which is really appeal to, now the great appeal to what's moral, right? By the very same people who, it would be very difficult to tell how many of those people actually believe in God with anything that you would recognize as believing in God. I mean, you know, all, you know, judgment outside, there's kind of some rudimentary like things you might know if you love the baby Jesus, you know. Uh, so and so, it's so interesting to listen to everybody trying to say we have a moral obligation too. And right, you heard this on both sides, all sides of all issues. We have a moral, we have a moral obligation to tax or not tax. We have a moral obligation for a big government or small government. We have a moral obligation to blah blah blah. I just want somebody to ask the question. It's exactly the same anchor who says on 9/11, "Where is God?" I would like them to just say, "What's the basis of morality again?" I just love somebody to answer that for me because I want to know whether I can have my own morality like everybody else does on all sides. This is not a comment on anybody in particular, but the appeal to this is so interesting. So, but that thing about closing the gap, and then you saved yourself with the talk about not being eternal. So the way to tell the difference is to say, it's very simple. Is God trying to destroy me or not? So with, with whatever comes into your life, so two things. One is, is God trying to destroy me? And two is, is my death my destruction? The great um, John Nelson margin comment. Well, actually, there were great margin comments where he said, you know, the, the message of every requiem, did you see this? It was last week or the week before, maybe it was Easter. The message of every requiem is, is, is our last breath is not the end of our life, right? Or that great sort of African-American, every eye that sleep, every eye that's closed ain't sleeping and every, right? I mean, you're just like, that's right. This isn't the end of the game. So the point is to try to close the gap. In the interim, you're going to need some correction. But the correction is going to be like a father who loves his child. That's actually the Greek word here. The Greek word is for um, how a father who takes an interest in his child. A father who, it, it can also be used for a teacher and a student, but it's primarily even the word pais that's in there is, is about child. A father who takes an interest in his child, wants his best, and knows he needs to, I can still think about my own dad. One of the best things my dad ever taught me was how to sweep the dirt out of a corner. I mean, I pushed a broom a lot of years at Cedar Rapids Sheet Metal Company, I can just tell you. <laughs> and one of the best things my dad ever taught me was, you know, 
you know, how to get the dirt out of a corner because, you know, there's a whole other story there. But anyway, um, the question about this, why are you laughing? (laughs) No, yeah. I did clean the kitchen, did you notice? Yeah, it's okay. Hey, Genesis 1, what is the first thing God does? Cleans up, okay? That's right, that's the story. So, um, you know, did you forget? The whole point of, yes, God disciplines you, yes, God punishes you, and yes, God is trying to teach you, and no, God is not trying to destroy you. And yes, if you do stupid things, sometimes you face the consequence of that, and that's bitter, right? That can be bitter. It can be immediate, it can be bodily, it can be spiritual. I mean, here's the thing. If you just don't go to church for 30 years, you're just never going to become the person that you should have been. And more and more in my head, and I'm trying not to be... I think about you a lot and how successful you are and where we live. I really think, you know, people who never learned to tithe just sort of kind of failed in their life as business people. Because the word, you know, economy, economos, the, the, the Greek word is about how to, how to manage things that don't belong to you, right? I think to myself, you know, uh, you know I, and I talk about myself, not about you. I can tell you when different things meant things to me and didn't and what I did and what I didn't do. But the point is, you know, if you don't go to church for 30 years, you're just never going to be the person that you could have been. If you don't say your prayers every day, if you're not generous, if you don't tithe and give alms, you're just never going to be the Christian that Jesus meant you to be. You're just not going to be, right? And when people come to that sometimes late in their life, it's a bitter thing because they realize all the things that would have gone differently had they done it. Hebrews is trying to save you from that. And part of that is actually for people to stand up and people who are smarter than you, people who are better than you, people who have closed the gap, who stand up and say, that's not going to go well for you. I, mean, I see it in fathers who are too hard on their kids, for example. Fathers who are too hard on their, on their, on their children, right? Because there's a range of things that happen from, you know, they bop you in the nose or they run away from home or, you know, they just, it just love has gone cold at some point, right? But it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to get this right. It's very difficult to know how much is It's the same as a pastor. It's difficult to know how much is enough. What are you supposed to do? It's, it's just, it's just it's, the good news is, is that God gets it right. I mean, just look at how this works, you know? Have you forgotten the exhortation? Remember, exhortation, this is a rhetorician. This is a, this is a technical word. This is a sermon. This is like, I'm going to tell you all the examples of where it went well, and then I want it to go well for you, too. That's all, been the whole book so far. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgot that God says, Jesus is your brother and you're my child, and I'll listen when you talk? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, no lose courage when you're punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Why? Because you're not perfect, okay? You're forgiven, but you're not made perfect. You're not condemned, Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it is, in fact, the law does always accuse. So the discipline part comes with the accuser. That's not what Christians do. We don't act like that. That's not who we are. Later he's going to say, at the end of this text, he's going to say, hey, people who act like Esau and they're still in your community, when they touch your community, they pollute the whole thing. It's a very difficult thing because it makes it difficult, especially for pastors, to think about sinners and what does this mean. And you can get holier than thou really quickly. On the other hand, at the end of this text that we're not going to get to, he says... 
Uh, little joke there for you. Uh, he, he says, wow, if you just act like sin doesn't matter in your community, your community is going to be desecrated. So see, this is just like, it goes from God disciplining us as children to all of us in community disciplining each other, knowing that we're sinful and we need forgiveness and the best place for sinners is the Eucharist, but how much can you take and what does it mean to be unrepentant and how do you read people's hearts? This is very, very difficult that this is how congregations work. This is how communities work. He's talking. He's going to say in just a moment, I'm just telling you this so that you can be a good witness to everybody. He's going to err on the side of kindness. All people is going to come up in just a second. It means at least the community, it may mean more. But then he also says, but you have to be careful. There's some line you have to be careful going over. This is why, you know, it's so important to have elders and, and Bible studies and people talking and trying to figure it out and not having sort of voices come down from above. And this is, this is why it's so important to have a long catechumen it and get everybody on the same page. Because otherwise, as it says in the Old Testament, everybody is always making decisions. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. Nobody can tell what in the world we stand for, right? So this is sort of a bid to have a community or a congregation that follows Jesus with all that that means, always with the understanding that we all have things that need to be clipped off. We all have things that need to be rebuked, all of us, starting with me and the pastors and everybody else. We all, this is why we always, I try to say out loud to you, especially in the catechumenate, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to pray that it's not going to be in a tremendously you know, horrible way, but I'm going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint me. And I'm going to forgive you, and I want you to forgive me. And that's why we, at the beginning of everything, say, I'm a damn sinner. And halfway through, we say, the peace of the Lord be with you. Because we can't sort of get enough forgiveness, so we can't remind ourselves often enough. And this is why, now it comes back to why you're in church every week, and why you say your prayers, and why you read the scriptures, because you can't do it on your own. You have this immovable, you know, inertia toward doing what's evil, and it needs to be Tamp down at every step. So Luther, in the morning when you wake up, make the sign of the cross and say the name of the Father, Son, Holy, and start with murder, drown your old Adam. Right? All these, it's just fascinating to me how it all comes together in this text, which is about being a practical community. So we did like nine words. Um, congratulations. Uh, have a look at this. But the thing, here's the good news. Nothing here is new to you. Nothing here is new. What's interesting is how he connects the dots in a way that you very much understand. Touch holy things. Don't touch evil things. Act first in love. But love doesn't mean tolerating everything. It means tolerating what is holy and having the rest repented of and forgiven. All with the notion that God is not interested in destroying you. He is very interested in changing you and using you. And if you refuse that, then you go back to square one and start over because you don't understand a thing about being a Christian. Right? Milk to meat. We should make a move. All right, we got to go. Love you. Next week, um, Arthur Just will be here. His assignment, we'll see how he does. I said, you know, he, he was, he, it was either he or John Kleining that was going to write the Hebrews commentary. So I just, he's done Hebrews for years. I said, you know, just pick whichever text you want to do. I said, pick your favorite text. Um, just bring your favorite text and do it. So Arthur's going to teach next week. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's coming because he and Pete are old friends. That's actually how I met Pete. Um, initially, Pete and I and, and Arthur were on this group that started Doxology with Hank Sinkfile. That's where I first really got to know these guys well. And um, So anyway, he'll be back next week, so that should be fun. So come next week, and then 
go do some Christian stuff, okay? All right, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.